Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. So I'm going to be having this conversation with Jen Loudon, and as we were taping it, we had tremendous audio difficulties, but the content and the message is so good, and there was such an outpouring for this topic um, after we did the first conversation about friendships that we kept going through it. Bear with us. It wasn't um, something that we enjoyed. We'd want to put out something with better audio qualities. My apologies. But this this is authentic. It's real. And for us to retape it, we probably would have forgotten a lot of what we said because we really spoke from our heart. It's not from a script. So here's the show and um, bear with us with the sound quality. But again, the content is great. Hello and welcome back to my conversations with Jen Loudon on how she really does it. I know you guys have been really enjoying um, these conversations that I've been having with the guest co-hosts. So remember, Jen is um, one of the originals in the self the self care movement, and her first book was the Woman's Comfort Book, and she's written many more books. And Jen, tell me again your latest book, A Year of Daily Joy. <laughs> and it's a beautiful book with pictures and space to write and to um, practice living with daily joy. And so Jen's here today because I've been flooded with emails and um, just comments or questions about the friendship in a conversation that we originally did when we first started. And um, friend, so we're going to talk about friendships and overcoming our own inadequacies. How's that sound, Jen? Oh, just so much fun. <laughs> so I started reading Jen this email before we started recording. I'm like, wait, this is something I should just share over the, uh, over the show. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to take out a few things because I don't, um, I want to protect, like privacy is very, very important to me. So I want to protect that. But I think this is something that can resonate in all of us. So the email said, the friendship and belonging episode really hit home. Just this weekend, I had four of my girls quote, definitely rethinking what that means for me, post a picture on, on Instagram of them going out of state on a well-deserved, well-needed girls trip, of which I obviously wasn't invited. It unveiled all of my shame gremlins and had me thinking, why would they not invite me? Why don't I connect with them enough to be thought about while they were planning? Why did the closest of those friends not suggest to invite me? Do they secretly not like me? Did they talk about why they didn't invite me? Why am I not good enough? What the hell made me think that they liked me enough to go? Lots of laugh. Am I not a good friend? And why would you post it on Instagram? That makes me think that they didn't even think about inviting me because if they had been, they definitely wouldn't have posted it because they knew it would hurt my feelings. It is so incredibly hard. I rarely post stuff or do things I get brand new car because I'm careful about how this may affect others. Mm. So that, and and she talks about a few other things, but she wants to know about, you know, how to overcome inadequacies. But before we go there, mm-hmm. I'm thinking when, when I read that, I was like, oh yeah, been there. I feel <laughs> I, I've, all those questions have come up in my head. I've seen pictures for me. It's more about Facebook, you know, friends who I've done trips with and then all of a sudden they're doing the trip, but I'm no longer part of the trip. Mm-hmm. What happened? <laughs> Do I not shower enough? That's what I think. <laughs> See, my question is, am I too abrasive? Am I too confrontational? Uh, I'm actually kidding. I do take a shower every day. That was a bad trip. But yeah, I, oh gosh, I've been there. I've been there. I'm, I'm totally flashing to a group of well-known, um, you know, coachy solopreneur types that I thought I was friends with and they all were invited to this retreat and it was on Facebook and Instagram and everything. And I was so clearly not invited and it just was crushing to me 
crushing. And then I'm also thinking I was up in San Francisco a few weeks ago where I got to meet you in person. And I know I watched this exchange between two friends in front of another friend where they said, hey, you want to co-work tomorrow? And the other friend said, yeah, and didn't invite the third person. I, I wouldn't feel excluded there because I was leaving the next day. Mm-hmm. But I knew that this other friend that wasn't being included had used to co-work with them. And suddenly in front of her, they're saying, hey, you want to co-work? And not even looking at her. And I'm like, whoa. I wonder how that feels. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I use these stories because I think this happens to all of us. And I think that's that's the place we want to start, right? That it's not it's not unique to us to be excluded. It's the common humanity piece. Yeah. So just to, I just always have to start there because otherwise I just get my nervous system in such a tangle about what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So does that help to realize that Oh, other people go through this feeling too? I don't know. Does it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, I'm thinking, but still the question we all have is why wasn't I included? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, that doesn't really go away. I can't gloss that over that they didn't want me there. Mm -hmm. It happened another time with a TED Talk where a bunch of people were invited to give a TED Talk. And I was with... And I knew everyone and some, several of the people were very close friends, I thought. And it's like, why wasn't I invited to this, you know, giving of TED Talk thing? Mm-hmm. And is that ever a question that we ever get answered? I don't know. That's a really good question. Do we ever, do we have, is, is it, you know, okay, so I want to go really honest here. Uh, I was married a year and a half ago. And at my wedding, my oldest friend, we've been friends since we were eight we haven't spoken since my wedding mm-hmm. because I was so uncomfortable and felt so untaken care of by how she acted at my wedding and what she did do, what she did and didn't do. And we've emailed back and forth. We have very different ideas of what happened. Um, I totally understand how she feels and, and what she feels happened. And, I understand the confusion, and I, yet I don't have any desire to reconnect with my my dearest friend who I used to speak to almost every day. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like we've, in the end, I feel like we have just grown in such different directions. And it was happening for a really long time, but my loyalty and my love for her, which remains here, even though I don't want to be in contact with her. So just kind of, I think what I'm doing is trying to flip to the other side of maybe we don't get to know these things because sometimes we aren't a fit for people. Like she and I, I don't think we're a fit right now to be friends, mm-hmm. but I still love her. She's a huge part of me. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving you any good answers. <laughs> well, no, because I, I think about that. It's not about her not being good enough. No, mm-hmm. we're just really different. Like she, her, um, her way of dealing and um, processing things is really draining for me. Mm-hmm. And my, and then it elicits the kind of coachy fixer part of me, which isn't helpful for either one of us. Cause that's not a place that you want to inhabit a lot in a friendship is let me fix you and give you answers mm-hmm. or a marriage <laughs> or just about any relationship. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm thinking about these girls that these girls that excluded me, like I'll, I don't know. Could I ask them why I was excluded? I don't know if they'll tell me. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like you. You're not a good fit. You're too much. Those things could be very true. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be true for them, but that doesn't mean that you're not okay. Yeah, no, I do think that is the point that we, we need to keep pointing out to ourselves here is the place that I go and the place that this beautiful woman who wrote you this beautiful email goes is what is, we have to remember there's nothing essentially wrong with us. Mm-hmm. That our un- uh, unstainable goodness, I love that term from Buddhism. Uh, but on the other hand, is there something I can learn from being excluded? Yeah. 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 It's interesting because um, I was actually talking, there's a group of friends, colleagues who did put this group together and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I found out from one of them what it was and would have so loved to have been a part of it. And there's this part of me, there was that voice, why not me? Right. And I was actually talking to one of them yesterday and somehow the group thing came up and I was asking about it. 
And it was so interesting because a lot of times I talk about where are you rooted? Are you rooted in fear or shame or are you rooted in compassion? And I mm-hmm. think when I was having this conversation, I was truly rooted in compassion because I said, you know, we were talking and I said, oh my gosh, I would have so loved to have been a part of that group. And my friend said, you know, it was just something that she kind of told me the process of how it came together. And, um, and she just thought of somebody off the top and boom, it happened, you know, and, and it was interesting because I could have gone down the path of feeling inadequate, like, oh, see, I'm not good enough. And this is evidence. Mm. But I made this decision of, okay, you know, how does, you know, when we put together things at times, sometimes it's like, who's top of mind? Right. Mm. So my friend over here had been top of mind. I hadn't, but that doesn't mean that our relationship is less valid. And it doesn't mean that, you know, she doesn't like me or think of me as none of those things that I was telling myself. I don't even know. Maybe she does. But if I, since it's not a fact, it's not something that I know. And why would I put myself through that? Yes. I think that, you know, brings up a very skillful way to deal with these moments, which are, you know, to resource ourselves back to our, our sense of goodness um, and, and really to have those tools. I mean, this is what I'm always teaching in, in my different courses is, is, is really engendering, ingraining in our brains and our nervous systems and our minds a way to feel safe, to feel compassion for ourselves. And, and today in the, in the, uh, way I was working with students today, we took a challenging situation. And so we have one right here being excluded. And and then we found a gesture with our bodies of self-soothing. So for me, that's usually putting my hand on my heart and rocking. So I look a little bit like a little, you know, little baby rocking back and forth. For some people, it's rubbing their arms or their ears or putting their, you know, rubbing their face. Um, but it, we, we have to soothe our nervous system first with the body, our a mammalian brain part. Uh, this is very soothing for a mammalian brain. And then to really speak to ourselves with, with the acknowledgement, this is challenging. This is hard. This is suffering. Whatever words or work for your vocabulary, everybody. So I would say to myself, wow, this is really hard. And we often skip that step, right? First, we skip self-soothing ourselves. We, we skip having a body. And then two, we skip saying, wow, this is really challenging. We go to problem solving. But that doesn't allow us to just feel into the tenderness and the, the sadness and acknowledge it. And then to say, and, and this is not unique or everybody experiences this, which we were doing at the beginning of the conversation. So we don't start to pathologize it, right? And then the next thing is, is, is can I, how can I have compassion or can I have compassion for myself right now? Can I, can I breathe into compassion for myself right now? Sometimes we can't. And so what I do then is I feel my compassion for my dog. <laughs> because I always love that dog, no matter what. Yesterday she came upstairs. She had eaten deer poop. She threw up all over my ba- my my office. I did not get upset with her. I had <laughs> compassion for. Oh, you poor thing. Now, sometimes I wouldn't even have that much compassion for my daughter, but I can't always have it for my dog. So then I can feel into that, and then I can transfer it to myself. So I have to think. We we really have to remember to have some tools like this and. Maybe those of you listening have something already that works better for you. I love how you talk about having compassion for yourself. And if you can't, you can always have compassion for your dog. Because sometimes isn't it about, like, again, going back to this idea that I have with roots, when we're in that shame that I'm not good enough and we can't be compassionate, but when we can start to feel compassionate, even if it's for your dog, can't that shift you over into being rooted in compassion? Oh, totally, totally. So what you're doing is you're accessing your brain doesn't really know the difference, the tender feeling, and and then you can transfer it. You can just begin. You could picture your dog in your mind's eye, or your child, or your partner, or anything you feel compassion for, and then you can picture yourself. So yeah, it's a way of eliciting that response in your nervous system. Uh, that what research shows us is that feeling those feelings of compassion. Um, have a really lovely effect on our nervous system and our brain. Um, But it is nice to then build the bridge and and see yourself or feel yourself, extend that compassion to yourself. Don't stay, don't stay with the picture or the feeling of just for the dog. 
for the child. Um, so I think we have to just to kind of make this into steps for ourselves and everybody listening. When we're excluded, that's what the Buddha called the first arrow. It hurts. And the second and the 15th and the 25th arrow are when we build all these stories about why it's happening. I'm not suggesting that we don't sometimes do things that are unskillful that'll, and that people then exclude us because of it. That can be a real fact, but we ha- often have no way of knowing that. And the first thing we want to do is to extend this compassion to ourselves and notice the suffering and be with it and take care of ourselves. And because then that opens up the possibility to deal with it and to change in ways that we may choose to do so much more skillfully. I, I think the thing we feels like we're skirting around is what happens like what we do when this happens. So we do self-compassion, super, super important. Mm -hmm. But then what do we do? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing I have a lot of trouble, as I said in the, in the other interview with friendships. Mm -hmm. So I am really curious about and really taking action in how I can be a better friend and how I can sort of, for one of a better word, operationalize <laughs> being a better friend. And that is a perfectly legitimate thing for us to explore as long as we're not doing it from that place of what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm doing it from the place of what's wrong with me, which trust me, I have, then I'm this needy creature who's looking for my friends and my friendships to go a certain way to confirm that I'm an okay person, that I'm a likable person. But if I'm coming at it from this deeply resourced place of self-compassion and centeredness, then I can be curious, oh, wow, you know what? I'm noticing that sometimes I really get so excited around people that it might be a little off-putting. And maybe my excitement doesn't need to be expressed so excitedly. But that doesn't mean I'm bad because I get so excited and loud and maybe it's not a good fit for everybody. I can just be curious about that. I can hold it lighter. I can, when I'm in the compassionate place, I'm able to put my attention more on other people without needing them to give me anything mm-hmm. to, to react a certain way. You know, I think about like a uh- Last fall, I was having coffee with a girlfriend and I think I I was, you know, not in this great place. And I said something about, I'm just too confrontational. Mm. And and I can't remember how she reframed it, but it was, you know, it wasn't about me being confrontational. Like I'll ask the questions, you know, and I'll hold that space and I'm willing to be vulnerable. Sometimes I can be, when I'm really confrontational, it's when I'm really armoring up and I can't be compassionate. So I kind of puff up to protect myself. That's never a good thing. But when no, I can show no. up with like my, my heart, I'm not confrontational. I am who I am. I'm willing to have these vulnerable conversations. And for some people, they may not want to have that, right? It, it's for them. They would rather talk about, you know, whatever the latest gossip is or the problems, you know, of the community <laughs> and stuff. Um, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's the big thing is not judging what is right and what is wrong, yeah. but what feels good to you. Yeah, that is so simple and so profound. And it has really changed my um, my experience of friendship, that exact thing. In, I think what I used to do was I'd go into a situation and if I wasn't getting what I wanted, mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, I'm bored, I'm out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. And even though it, it wasn't super apparent even to me that I would be doing that, I think it, it does give off a certain vibe. And the vibe very simply of I'm really not present. So I'm not finding what's interesting or juicy here, even if it's not my ideal conversation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Makes you know, so I, I'm thinking of some, you know, group of uh, friends that we've hung out with over the years and we've known them for years. And, and so there's that beautiful sense of, of watching kids grow up and, and divorces happen and divorces thankfully not happen. And, um, and, and that, that like with my old friend that I haven't spoken to now for almost two years, um, there's a glue there. And I, 
even if we don't have a lot of other things in common. And if I'm not able to just be there with who they are without judgment and find what's fresh in that moment, I, I often seeing them or check out. And then that can become a story for me of, oh, I'm not included. And I have my husband to point out, honey, you didn't want to be included. (laughs) Um, So I think, and this is just such a rich topic, everybody, isn't it? You know, there's so many pieces of our own story and our own hurt and our own judgment that exclude us from people. But then I want to go back to the email, which is seeing these friends on Instagram and not being part of it. Yeah. So we know we know in that moment of seeing that on Facebook or Instagram or you know maybe you get a copied on an email exchange by by mistake or however you find out or maybe you see friends out to lunch in your community and and you're not invited. You know, really we have to turn to that self-compassion place and soothe ourselves first. And then I think we can get curious. Um we can get curious what our story is about why we're not included and Maybe see if there's anything we can let go of there. Like, what would you do with your story if you saw a bunch of friends having dinner and you weren't included? Maybe you passed by the window of the the restaurant. (laughs) Well, and and this is is something that can occur, right? Um, Is I I think I go into that knee jerk of it's that shame trigger. So what's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. Just like the listener had sent in the email. And sometimes it's kind of like I talk, it's like the purging of what are these, you know, thoughts that are getting in my way? What are these belief systems? And then from there, showing up compassionately, like hearing the problems, like if a child comes and talks to you, if your child comes to talk to you, you want to hold that space so that they can say all these stories that are in their head, but hold that compassionate space. So that's kind of what I'm doing is saying, Mm -hmm. allowing these stories to surface so I don't resist them hold the compassionate space and then I, and then, and kind of live in there. And I love your idea about the dog. So if you, we can't get into self-compassion, but how would we get compassionate? So, you know, when I think about being compassionate, sometimes my, the, my go-to is step into being the life coach or step into being the radio host, because I think this is where I hold really good compassionate space. Mm. And, and how would I talk to my client? You know, how would I talk to a guest? Because I, that's an area where I've have definitely new neural pathways than other, you know, relationships in mine. So doing that, getting into compassion, and then eventually I can get into, okay, this is not something I'm a part of. Is this something like if this dinner, is this something that I would have wanted to partake in? Because it may not have been. That's true. That's such a good question. It's like me, it's like Bob asking me, honey, you didn't want to be included. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. So right there, like sometimes we see something and we think, oh, I want that. And we don't actually investigate. Do I want that? Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. And then let's say you did want to be included. It looks really fun. Are there people you really like? Well, and then um, and if there are people that I really like, um, I might stop by and say hi. Like because the restaurant I'm thinking of is a cafe in town where you could walk by and I might swing by and just say hi and then move on. And then I think probably what I would do, this is probably more real what I would do, is that if I would want to do stuff with those women, I would create an opportunity for us to get together the mm. next time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it would have to depend because I think there's different layers of friends or different circles of friends. Like if it was like one of my girlfriends who's my inner circle, I could maybe say, you know, wow, I really would have loved to have been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with some other people, there may not, you know, be that opportunity for that kind of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have to, it, you know, it's not a one size fits all. I think it depends on the relationships that you go through and how honest you can really be. Um, I think my old way would have been to be really needy, either to be really needy and victim like, or to really puff up and be like, well, screw you. <laughs> yes, those are two good moves, aren't they? <laughs> I know them well. <laughs> those, those really help you create what you want. That's exactly. a joke. Really? Um, <laughs> so I think it's about, again, being rooted in this compassionate place of saying, okay, if, if this is something I want to be a part of, I could ask, you know, next time I would love to join you guys. Right. And put it out there where, because the other side is that I've done a lot of work in the past. I would try to manipulate stuff so that, you know, people would feel obligated to make me come. Right. But Mm -hmm. that's not fun. 
when you get the invitation because of an obligation. Like I have, I always have a saying that it's an invitation. It's not an obligation. I want you to come. Like, I want you to be here in the space because this is something that, you know, you really enjoy doing, not because you feel obligated to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I'm always saying it's an invitation. It's not an obligation because I want it to be this hell. Yes. I want to do it. Or even like, yes, I want to go. I may have other stuff that, you know, is kind of coming down on me, but I want to go and be there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's why I would have. My my approach would be very different than 10 years ago because 10 years ago, I would have made it happen, but it would have been coming from this place of shame and I would have worked really hard and the energy would have been tight. Yeah. Encapsulate this for you. Do it. What you just said, what you just said was so brilliant. So when we, when we, when the sting comes of feeling excluded, the first thing we do is reach for the self-compassion. And we talked about earlier a few steps to do it. And that's based on the work of Kristen Neff, who has been mm-hmm. on the show and who wrote the book Self-Compassion. You, but anything that allows you with, to, to access that place of compassion, of, of recognizing that this is suffering and bringing some love and attention to it. And you might have to rinse and repeat it a bunch. If it, you really are hurt, it's not going to take five minutes to get to that self-compassion place. That's okay. And then I love the inquiry, do I even want to be included? <laughs> you know, right then you might be able to drop it. Then the second one might be, what do I know is really going on? So get curious. You know, maybe that picture on Instagram of the friends, maybe it was a birthday party for a friend that you're not that close with. So it would have been odd for you to be invited. Or maybe the meeting in the restaurant is not for fun, but it's a planning, say an auction that's coming up. So get a little curious, maybe whether you want to be there, maybe look for some more facts about what was really happening. And then maybe you do want to inquire if it feels safe, if it feels possible, if someone who's there by phone, not by email, by phone or in person. Hey, I, you know, I just, I saw that this is happening. I know this is awkward. You might not be able to tell me, but I, I kind of wondered why I wasn't included. Now, this is very vulnerable. But there's times that we do want to find this out because maybe they are a group of friends that we thought we all belonged with. And we may then find out that it was an auction meeting or we might find out that, you know, there's something there that we need to deal with. Maybe we're estranged from someone um, in the group and we didn't really realize it. And there's some action we can take to make it better. But if we stay in the story and the hurt, and the disconnect, or all those beautiful things that you said, the victim or the puffing up, nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to be created that we want. Mm-hmm. Beautifully re- re- well said. <laughs> I'm thinking about, um, you know, my own self now and um, feeling these exclusionary moments that I mentioned at the beginning of the interview. Um, and then deciding to go to some dear friends that weren't part of those groups, but that I felt really safe with, to ask them, you know, how is there, are there things about me that make it hard to be friends with me? And not looking for an answer, not looking for confirmation that I'm screwed up, but looking for information that I might be able to use. And I did learn some things. I learned that sometimes my enthusiasm is overwhelming and shuts people down. Now, this was, you know, one person's experience. I'm not going to make it the truth for everything. But it really was like, oh, I can see that. I get so excited about connecting with people. I get so excited sometimes being with people live because I spend so much time alone. Um, and I'm a kind of an eager beaver person in general that, wow, I can see where I could calm that down um, for people who are introverts, for people who need more time to warm up. Um, yeah, I can see how I take up too much space sometimes. Cool. That doesn't mean anything bad about me. That just means I can take a few breaths before I walk into the restaurant or the party. Calm myself down. So Jen, something that just came up as you said that is because I I love that question. You know, are there things that make it hard to be friends with me? Because it gives us some feedback and, and, and I always say compassionate people have boundaries, right? And it gives us some feedback and and you said something that's so important. You can check in with that, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go, oh, well, this is what I'm doing. This is one person's experience, right? Mm-hmm. This is, and it has to do with how, you know, how they do things in the world, right? And what's a good fit and where their comfort level is. But um, I, I think 
I wanted to mention that it can be a slippery slope because I always talk about I'm a recovering approval whore, right? Where I could then go, oh, well, this person wants this, this person wants this, and then just where then I'm not showing up authentically. But I think what happens like for me when I can be in my whole heart or I can be grounded in myself or be grounded in compassion, I can show up and sometimes I can be really, I mean, I'm physically big, you know that, but, and I can be big and I know I can have powerful energy, but how can I do that where if, if somebody is more sensitive to that, not overwhelm them, which I think is different than being, you know, being the chameleon or the approval whore. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, gosh, totally, yes. In the past, I would have been, I would have asked my friends so that they could tell me something that would fix me. And then once they told me that, and then I would be fixed for all time. Mm -hmm. And then everyone would love me and I would be safe. Like, that was the underlying story that I was living in. But because I spend now a nice portion of my day in that place of deep connection, I can only... I can only place it as connection, uh, a sense of well-being, a sense of spacious awareness. I don't need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But I also know that I'm a human being and I can be annoying. (laughs) And because I would like to be connected with people and I would like to foster intimacy, I have to work on that. And that's okay, but it's not me. It's not the core me. The core me is the same as the core you. It's this beautiful, it's love for one of a better word, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this love. And so, wow, I can, I'm like, I'm, I'm love. But sometimes that love wa- wags its tail too much mm-hmm. <laughs> in this little body. <laughs> um, so, for example, yesterday, Bob and I, this is very funny, we were driving to yoga and um, we got in a fight. <laughs> I love going to yoga, I get in a fight. And um, I apologize for my snippy tone, but really I make an excuse for it because I'm like, it's not about you. I was frustrated that I wasn't making sense. And then I get in yoga and I do my practice and about halfway through, no, probably like 10 minutes in, I'm like, oh my God, his feelings were hurt. And that's all that matters. But I was so identified with my story of why I talked in a snippy tone that I was still not acknowledging that his feelings were hurt. So after yoga, I'm like, hi, I ran right up to him. Honey, I'm so sorry I hurt your feelings. doesn't matter why. I hurt your feelings. And that's what we're looking for when we connect with each other, right? And that's what we're looking for with this excluded from our friends. We're trying to find how can we connect in a way that benefits all of us. But if we're trying to fix ourselves, then I think we get into that place I was earlier in the car, like, but don't, you don't understand. <laughs> There's a reason why I was snippy. Yeah, no, he doesn't care. He just cares that I heard his feelings. I love that question. How can we connect that benefits all ourselves versus how can I fix myself to fit in? Yeah, or how can I fix myself to make you happy? Or how can I fix myself so I never get hurt again? That's what that's what often, so what in, you know, so many, there's so many different languages to use this. So we could use, um, in psychological language, you know, what, what of our, our, um, neuroses or our, um, patterns are being activated when we saw that picture on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so the way out of that is immediately to soothe ourselves through the body and through a feeling of self-compassion and self-love. And then once that happens, our nervous system calms down. Some of our, our empathy, the parts of our brain where empathy lives, can come online. So we actually have access to things that we don't when we're in that first moment of heat, right? Usually you feel hot. Like when I was arguing with Bob, I was so hot. I was so indignant. You don't understand. I was snippy because... Well, no, he doesn't understand, and I wasn't understanding either. <laughs> so we always have to remember that that calming the body, calming the nervous system. And we're not going to want to do it in the moment of heat because we want to make someone else wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we w- Or including ourselves. Maybe we want to punish ourselves. Like with that Instagram moment, maybe we want to punish ourselves. I know when my friends excluded me, you know, I want to punish myself because there must be something wrong with me because otherwise they would have invited me. Why do we go to that? 
why do we go? It we there's something wrong with us instead of maybe in just that moment we weren't at top of mind. Top of mind, or maybe we're not a good fit for one person, or maybe you know who knows, right? We could go on for the rest of the show about our stories. Um, I think it's evolutionarily. I think that's how we evolved. If if we weren't included in the tribe, we died. So for most of human history, we needed to be included to survive. And uh, maybe some theories are about 75,000 years ago, the part of our brain that we identify now as the I, um, the I, the I thought, the I story began to develop as our brain became more sophisticated. And that I story or that I function gloms onto that evolutionary urge to belong, to be safe. And then that becomes the whole complex of suffering. But if we can calm ourselves back down almost to that lower order of our brain, that's not quite the right way to say it neurobiologically, but you know what I mean. Yes. Um, kind of calm ourselves back down, then we can begin to untwist the more complicated story we might be laying on top of our urge to belong. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. It's hard. It's so hard. I just, you know, sometimes I'm just like, screw it. I'm not even going to deal with it, right? And But it will come back. So if we don't want to deal with it in the minute, if we just want to delete the Instagram account <laughs> and just not talk to our friends for a week. I mean, I certainly did that with my girlfriend after the wedding. I was so hurt and so confused about what happened. I just couldn't deal with it. Um, you know, and now almost, you know, a year and a half later, I'm still like, I love you. I sent her, you know, I sent her my new book with a nice note. But it just feels like I don't, neither one of us know what to do. And maybe sometimes there is nothing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes relationships do have a, a life and they end. And it's very sad and confusing. You know, I was saying this to a friend yesterday. Like, what if you got the best of her for what you needed and she got the best of you for what she needed? and you're now, you know, moving on. It, it, it like, you know, the, like the love, the relationship, all of that stuff, there were some really great things. And then as we evolve, maybe we don't need those things anymore, but you got the best of her. Like it was the right fit for so long. Right. And it's, yeah, I, think, it. I think that's a beautiful sentiment and we do grow and change. We see this in marriages. We see this, you know, and this is one of we see this in all kinds of relationships to finish that thought. And and that goes back to that moment when you see the friends together in the restaurant or on Instagram is to really ask after you calm yourself down and have compassion for yourself, did I want to be included? Mm-hmm. And the reason why is not only some of the things we talked about, but it may be that in that moment you see how you're moving and changing and needing something different in relationships. We keep going back to, I want to be included with those people we may, it may be true and it may not be true. So we need to see how, we need to give ourselves moments of those moments can also be a chance to see how we're growing and changing and to allow ourselves to want something different. Ooh, say more about allowing ourselves to want something different. Oh, well, come on. Haven't we all stayed friends? You know, my husband would say I stayed friends with with my dear friend for longer than was good for me mm-hmm. because it's familiar, it's comforting, there's history, and maybe there's proximity. Maybe we're not willing to say to the group of friends, no, I don't want to go on the vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, for example, you know, as... I have long, for most of my life, felt a real disconnect between how people in the U.S. at least um, celebrate and how friends hang out together. I don't like to drink. I, I, let me be honest. I love to drink alcohol. It doesn't love me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love nothing more than to have two glasses of wine and get a little, you know, tipsy. Uh, it's so much fun but it makes me feel really sick the next day and gives me hot flashes all night. Um, I love to eat rich food and sugar, but it makes my joints ache. And 
so I, I really pay a price for that. But and then my soul really wants something different. My and my, and I want to play. And I find it really hard to find people who want to have either deep soulful conversations or who want to play. So finding those people means making a lot of effort and trial and effort and probably, you know, feeling awkward. And, you know, the older we get, the like sometimes it's the harder it gets because we don't have any history together. So that's why I think maybe we stick with what's familiar or around us. And plus we're going to have to exclude people and we know how much it, to be excluded yeah so anyway and i i think i think you're right on with all those things and i think sometimes we preserve i remember um i had this group of friends when my kids were really little and um and then i would see something on facebook or i and and i would feel that exclusion and i would have to go back in and check in with myself of is this person and I a good fit? Like, do I have fun? And I like, is there a connection? Is there, is there fun? Do I enjoy this being around this person? And it was interesting because time and get time and time again, it was no. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's not like I can hold compassion for this person. It's not that she was horrible. We just didn't connect, right? Maybe I was too armored up to be able to hold that space for her. I don't know, but. I didn't enjoy, and she probably didn't enjoy being around me. And so for me, it was about letting go of the story of, oh, we've been friends since our kids were X old. We should still be friends and look at me being excluded to, this is not somebody that I love spending a lot of time with. This is somebody that I can run into and have, you know, catch up and check on how the kids are. And that's fine. Or maybe go to a party that's just a social gathering where everything's on the shallows. But this is not somebody who has gone vulnerable with me, right? And I haven't with her, I mean, in fairness to her. And that doesn't mean she's a bad person or it's right or wrong. It's just not somebody that it's fulfilling. And so like when, because I otherwise instead of judging myself and beating myself up that I'm not enough and getting excluded, I just check in. Is this, are these people that I want to be a part of? And I think that helps me not I over identify and jump into the I'm not good enough, you know, my loser brain of I'm a loser, all that stuff. That's why they don't yeah. like me. That's right. That's right. It's so important. And it takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And so we can these moments when we're excluded can become these incredible teaching moments if we allow them to. We can really inquire what what do I want? What do I desire? What is, where is my truer life pointing me? Is, you know, I'm working on a book and, you know, God willing, it becomes a book. Right now it's just a big mess. But what seems to be the thread of the book is how do we, in these moments of life, turn towards what is really true and really beckoning for us? Mm-hmm. And what helps us turn towards it? And they're often around our work and our creativity, but they're often around our relationships, too. You know, and there's this way that we choose what's familiar, even if it's deadening. And I understand why we do it from a brain and evolution perspective. But you know what? We get to keep evolving. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we are humans. Evolution is not just in the past. (laughs) It's not just about losing our tail. (laughs) And how do we turn in these moments? And these moments are often, well, almost exclusively painful mm-hmm. and scary. And every time, I just love the idea of going, wow, here's the moment. This is so cool. Instead of, oh, my God, it's happening again. Or, oh, this sucks. Or, I don't want to deal with this. Or, I don't have the energy. That's one of my favorite stories. I don't have the energy and the time for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But what if this is really why we're alive? Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> yes. I, I, I think that is really why we're alive. <laughs> I mean, I like to think my to-do list is why I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to check three things off this morning already. I'm so hot. <laughs> <laughs> I live with such purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so as you were speaking, I was thinking that about friendship evolutions. And I was also thinking about... You know, I think we sometimes go into like, well, this marriage ended and he was bad and look at what he did mm-hmm. to me, right? Because I mean, I love to be in victimhood. I used to love it to, you know, justify my place in life. Um, 
or friendships like, oh, she, you know, can you believe she did this? It's like, but why not? It was a loving, fun, whatever friendship that gave a lot and we've evolved. And sometimes, I mean, it's a natural evolution of having kids and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of us, you know, or not having kids or as we do transitions in life or we move someplace, they're just different things that occur. Um, And then, but sometimes I think it's harder when you're in that same community and you see each other, but you're not doing, you know, there's still not that weekly thing. And here's the other side. Then you get to watch TV shows like Friends or Sex in the City <laughs> and compare your life. Like I used to compare my life to Sex in the City. I want that weekly girlfriend Sunday brunch, right? And I would get in so much pain and suffering because I wanted that. I don't want to wear stilettos. And Sunday brunch is not happening because my family is my top priority. If we can be at home Sunday together, that's... That's my top priority. That's where I'm going to be, right? So I was comparing myself to something that's out there. Like a client this week said, I I, I compare my life. It should be like the Super Bowl, you know, the Super Bowl commercials, like fun, exciting, and my life is just boring and drab. And we can do that instead of realizing that these are edited versions of our lives in what you said earlier about it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yes, and the edited versions are not only edited, but they're idealized. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things about the time that we live in. So much of what we're inundated with, I have a hard time with that word, every moment is idealized. Facebook is idealized, mm-hmm. even when we don't mean it. I We, we went on a a cross-country ski trip last weekend, and Bob published published a couple of pictures of us skiing, and we looked really happy. <laughs> and we were in that moment, but <laughs> may, but he didn't he didn't take pictures of me taking my skate ski lesson and crying mm-hmm. because I couldn't do it, and he could. Mm-hmm. So, friends is idealized. We know that, but. We still take it in at some level. So I think that's so important that we keep waking up to that and going, it's the wholeness of life that I'm after. Wholeness. It's not idealized. Idealized is death. It really is because there's no... I love that. It's the wholeness of life that I'm after. That is beautiful. Jen, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. I'm, I, I just have to share with everybody that my mom from um, her uh, unit in memory care is calling me repeatedly just to share that moment. <laughs> Life is not idealized. So my mom, who's in a just absolutely in one of her most needy, ugly phases right now, she has Alzheimer's. So even saying that is like not allowed, right? <laughs> and when I share on Facebook, I don't share about the times that I can't my mom. It's not appropriate. It's not mm-hmm. that I'm hiding it. It's not appropriate. But here, while we're having a conversation, I can say, wow, I'm so wanting to be 100% here. And every time she calls, I am flinching. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's wholeness. So if I, if I then close down around that flinching and judge myself, then I just get stuck. Mm-hmm. And then I go into the comparison. Oh, I bet there's somebody listening who has a mom with Alzheimer's who just loves her all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm not here. Mm-hmm. And instead, I can be like, "Oh wow, I really wish this wasn't happening. This is hard." And then I can breathe. And then I can like, like immediately, if you could see me, my whole face changes. It's like, "Oh right, this is hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It's hard. Nothing bad about it. It's just hard." Jen, thank you for this really real and authentic conversation. <laughs> I so love getting to talk about this stuff, this friendship stuff. We're, 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 we let's remember why we want to connect with people because we're humans. It's part of, it's built into us to connect. It's built into us as women, the tend and befriend, right? We get oxytocin from it, not oxycotton, which I would <laughs> want to say. <laughs> but it kind of does the same thing. It feels really good in our brains. We need it. So let's not pretend we don't, and let's not pretend it's not fraught with change and difficulty, but it's worth it. And I love, I think one of the most beautiful things that you said is you would see those friends, and if you wanted to be part of it, you would make it happen. 
not from that forcing place, but from, hey, let's create something fun together. Mm-hmm. So let's remember that, too. We are the creators of our truest lives every moment. Ooh, I love that. On that note, thank you so much, Jen. <laughs> Bye, honey. Bye, everybody. Well, thanks for sticking with us through that audio where we did a lot of editing and recalling back in so that we could get the content to you, the conversation to you in the best way we could with despite our uh, audio problems. So this show was about overcoming inadequacies and friendship. And we talked a lot about how can we, when those things happen and we feel that we are left out, we don't belong, we're not part of the connection, what can we do? And we talked a lot about checking in. And one of the things that I just said so briefly was also check in with are, are these friends, do we still have the same values, right? The things that brought us together at one point, do they still, are they still a top priority for us? Maybe sh- friendships change, uh, uh, relationships with our kids, our lifestyles, our spouses, s- jobs, so on and so forth, or just even our, our values. What are really important? And looking at that, maybe there are certain things that are really important to you that you've realized at this point in your state life that five years ago or 10 years ago wasn't. And so it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. Like we don't have to villainify somebody else or ourselves. It can just be, it's not a good fit. And the other part is I talk a lot about, you know, where are you rooted? So a few weeks ago, I texted a girlfriend and I said, hey, do you want to go for a walk this week? And I didn't hear anything back. And I could have had the story of, oh my gosh, how come she didn't text me? Is she ignoring me? Texting happens right away. And I just let it go. It, I didn't hear back and I went about and made my plans or let the space be open, however it was. And then Sunday, I got an email or a text saying, it's been a busy weekend. It's raining now. I hope you're having a great day. And I just didn't take it personally because I can also have compassion for her. There are times that I get into that space where I don't commit or I don't answer because I'm kind of not sure. There's other things like you hear me talk a lot about how my family's a priority. And so I'm kind of trying to see how things play out. I'm working at getting better about maybe communicating like I don't know or I'd love to, but here's what I have going on. Um, and sometimes like just this week, I said, you know what, it's just easier to pick up the phone than to text 12 different you know, texts to get an information across. So it's reminding myself that, but really holding that compassionate space for yourself and also for the other person. And and then I want to finish up with this this idealized thing that Jen and I were talking about, um, the idealized friendship stories that we have and how we can use you know media to dictate what we think friends should be or when we can look around at friends and think about, oh, well, this must be what they're doing. Like I always have to remind myself, Corinne, here's your idea of how the rest of the world works. And here is the reality of how you want your life to work. Do you really want to be out right now or would you rather be at home? And sometimes I hear this voice in the back of my head and this happened last night. I was coming home from dropping my kids off at practice and there wasn't going to be anybody home. And I was like, oh, I should go swing by my neighbors and see her. I haven't seen her in a couple of weeks and check in. And there's this other part of me that's like, I just want to go inside my house and be with me <laughs> and just sit, you know, and not have to talk to anybody. And it wasn't that I didn't want, I love her, adore her. But I, so there was a part of me that was like, well, you have this time, so you should go do this. But the other side was giving myself permission that I could just go home and just be, and that was okay. And checking in to where you want to be right then versus where you think you're supposed to be. And then also checking in with what you think is the idea of how you're supposed to live your life along with the reality. Right? I'm, I like things to be productive and efficient, but sometimes I compare what I go through in what may be you know, an edited huge, a lot of people in a team that shows something that goes smoothly. Life, I mean, this radio show today has not gone smoothly and we've edited, but there sounds imperfections and I've cut out um, chunks of it because it was so bad. And I kept in the stuff that was tolerable that still had the good content that I wanted for you. So letting go of this idea and reality and really checking in where, where are you rooted? Are you rooted in a place of compassion or are you rooted in fear or shame? And shame is that voice of you're not good enough. You're not enough. Who the hell do you think you are? Right? That's the voice of shame. So paying attention to that. I love how Jen talked about, because it's so easy to say, oh, you know, just, just be compassionate towards yourself. But when you're on this self-hatred road and you're beating yourself up because you see this picture on Instagram or Facebook where you're not included 
and you're beating yourself up, it, it can be really hard to go into, oh, I'm going to love myself because there's all these really not so nice thoughts that are out there. But for when she said, oh, I've always can be compassionate to my dog. And, and I said this to a client this week who has horses. And I said, maybe go pet your horse, go touch your horse, have that connection. So for everybody, it's individualized to know like, okay, what can help you shift over into that space? So then maybe you can get over there and then you can start to surround yourself with that space, with that kind of feeling and energy. And, you know, I just invite you guys to try it out and to test it out. There's a lot of personal reflection. There's going to be some courage that needs to be taken. I mean, I think for Jen to be able to go not to the friends that excluded her, but to friends who have where she can be vulnerable and vulnerable vulnerability is earned by people who've earned the right to hear your story. And she asked this question, but not in a needy way, but, you know, are there things that make it hard to be friends with me? Like, just really honest, that's a growth mindset, which we talked about on the show. You know, what are the things The people who can really be authentic, they may be able to answer that. The friends who have a really hard time, they may not be able to do that. That may, then that's again about them. It's not about you and learning how to separate those two things out, right? Because they may have beliefs or conditioning that um, they can't say those things. They can't be mean. You know, they can't, they can't speak their honest truth. I had a friend who we were texting one day back and forth and, and um, he goes, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to say no. And I texted back, I go, I absolutely know it's okay to say no. And if it's a no, I'll let you know. Um, you know, cause he was worried that there were some impositions that were happening and there weren't. So, but I also understand that he has a hard time saying no. So, you know, when you can understand a bit about people and, and instead of, and giving them that compassionate space, right? Just like we give and we want to give it to ourselves, but giving them that compassionate space of, okay, um, maybe for them, that's not how I would do things. I would be much more authentic and open, um, it, they may not be able to do that. And it doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. They may have not developed that skill set. They may have beliefs about how it's supposed to be done. Just like how some people believe it's not, it's not okay. It's rude to talk about money or it's crass to talk about money. I think it's brilliant to talk about money. And it's really important because it can get all our fears and our shame around money out there and to get to really what it is. Um, so, Again, I invite you to give yourself compassion, give those other ones compassion. And then from that place, check in. Is this something I want to be a part of? Uh, are these people, do we have similar values? Do we have similar priorities? You know, is, is that where I would have wanted to spend my money going out of state on this trip with them instead of what's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. And then think about what kind of friendships do you want to create? you know, and really work at that. Like, you know, I'm in middle age and 42 now. And I really think about who are the people that I want to spend time with? Who are the people that, you know, and I want to spend time with people who are willing to be vulnerable and, you know, willing to have deep conversations. But, you know, last night I went on a walk with a friend and we were just, it was a quick 20 minute walk. We were both kind of waiting for our kids. And it was the, you know, we were just kind of talking about the mundane of life, nothing big. And that's fine too. Not everything has to be deep and intense. So understanding what it is that you need and want and what are the relationships that you want to cultivate in your life. And I invite you to do that from a place where you're rooted in self-compassion instead of self-hatred. Let me know how it goes. Thanks so much for the emails. They've been awesome. It gave us a whole nother topic or, you know, further, um, conversation to have with Jen. And, you know, again, thank you for those messages on iTunes. They've been great. So I have a review from iTunes. I just read the next best thing to a deep heart to heart by Jen Furl. She said, like everyone here, I feel like Corinne is a friend because I've been a part of so many meaningful conversations with her. After having my kids surprise twins two and a half years after my first, I began to lose grip, my grip on who I was. And as I approached my 40th birthday, everything was changing. My work life changed, how I related to my husband, family, and friends changed, and I felt lost amid that change. I found how she really does it through the wonderful Brene Brown, and Corinne has been such an inspiration to me as I've sought to really think and ask myself what I want from my life. Not what others want, not what I was raised to want, not what I need to do for approval. 
Those years of being brought to my knees by sleep deprivation and a breakdown in my identity have actually been a gift. And I can see and feel that now seeing the positive and thinking deliberately about my life did not come naturally to me and was certainly not my go-to, but I've been diligent in my thinking and learning with this podcast as a companion. In many ways, it has been my guiding light and I'm now really working at living my true values. Thank you, Corinne, for the show. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to write that. That means a lot. You guys, I go to this page when I think, really, does what we have to say matter? Yes, I see the numbers and the stats, but really what means a lot to me are the emails that come in and the messages on iTunes like that. So thank you so much. I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter and we can keep these conversations going. I got a shout out from somebody in Australia this week who just emailed me back after I sent out the newsletter and just said, I love your show. And and it's fun to know that this, this show helps you. I started the show back in 2006 because I was that mom. You know, I felt lost and I was, I felt like I was really failing. And that's why I thought, you know what? I'm really good at asking questions and looking at resources. And that's why I started the show. So if this can help others, that just lights me up and it really fuels me. So thanks so much for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.